Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I'm going to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. Hey, church family, this week we are beginning a three-week series on money. Carl Kuhl is gonna be kicking it off, but before we talk about God's heart for your finances, I wanna share an exciting update about how God has used you uniquely and specifically through your giving, um, through your generosity. One of the things we talk about is you're not just giving to the church, you're giving through the church. We just wanna update you on one of the ways that's happening right now. As a church, one of our prayers is to be a church that cares intentionally and deeply for the vulnerable and specifically for vulnerable children and women. So two years ago, you heard us share the vision that God had placed on our hearts to impact vulnerable women in our community that were experiencing human trafficking. And we cast a vision for a single emergency shelter in the LaGrange area that would house 10 to 12 women at a time who had been trafficked. As the church, you gave. You gave generously to this initiative. And as we have studied and as we've learned how to best resource these funds for these vulnerable women, what we've learned in the process is that we don't just need one large shelter. What we really need are a number of smaller emergency shelters strategically placed. We believe that multiple smaller shelters is gonna be the most effective way to love and to care for these victims of trafficking and abuse So this small pivot and how we fund this initiative will allow us to care for victims one at a time, just as many victims, but one at a time, help them find emergency care more regionally and give them a safe space as they prepare for longer therapeutic programs. Having multiple shelters will also allow the full force of our church to be unleashed so that a number of campuses can serve in these shelters, in these houses, Um, right in their own communities. So ultimately, look, we wanna do whatever it takes so that these women who have endured so much would come to know the safest man they've ever known in Jesus. Uh, We've already identified three partners, one in Jefferson, one in Oldham, and one in Hardin County. We'll be working with these partners to renovate and complete shelters to accept the emergency placement of victims. And we're vetting additional partners to establish more facilities as needed. We also learned that because of how prevalent human trafficking is right in our own region, we want to make sure that we're not just investing financially, but also equipping our community to engage. And so over the last two years, we have launched an anti-sex trafficking ministry here at the church with two staff whose sole job it is to develop relationships and connections with law enforcement, to focus on anti-trafficking efforts across our region, and especially caring for survivors in our own community. Two years ago, there was no Christ-centered effort to tackle this problem in our region. But because of your giving, because of your giving, our area will be one of the top areas nationally for trafficking victims to access emergency care. Your giving through the church has made that possible. I can't think of a better way to kick off a series about God's heart for generosity than just to celebrate this reality, this opportunity that God has given us as a church family. So let's celebrate that together, all of us, and also would you welcome Carl as he comes to preach. 
That's great stuff. Um, as, as Kyle said, we're kicking off a series on generosity today. And I know immediately some of you get squeamish about talking about money in church. And it kind of reminds me of the guy I met one time who was watching TV and one of those TV preachers came on and made an outlandish promise. He said, if you send me, the TV preacher, $100, then God will send you $1,000. So the guy I know called up the phone number on the screen and he said, I've got an idea. How about you send me $100, God will send you $1,000 and everybody wins. I know this is a sensitive subject. So I wanna say two things to kind of set up this entire series. First is this, we are not in any kind of financial crisis as a church. Our giving is fine. We just wanna do more of what Kyle just talked about of helping hurting people find hope in the man named Jesus. Second reminder as we kick off this series, God's grace is free. There is nothing you can do to earn or buy God's grace. You can never be good enough for God's grace. The message of the gospel is this, you're created by God, but we rebel. We live for ourselves and put ourselves first. This hurts ourselves, this hurts other people. The result is we experience death in every way death can be experienced. But God wanted us. So he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sin. Then Jesus rose from the grave to both defeat death and prove we could trust every promise he's ever made. Then he ascended to heaven from where he will one day return. And Jesus says, whoever believes in me will receive eternal life, which means it's free. It's endless. You can't out sin grace. You can't doubt your way out of it. You can't be too bad or too messed up. And once you're in, you don't earn your keep. Jesus doesn't look at you after you've been baptized and say, well, you're good enough or you gave enough so you can stay in. The scriptures say when Christ died, he died once to break the power of sin, which means receiving grace has nothing to do with how much you give. Receiving grace has nothing to do with how much you give. Jesus says, every time you fall, I'll pick you up. And that's his grace. But Jesus also says, hey, you wanna stop falling? And that's his truth. Throughout the New Testament, God gives us a better way to live. And one of the ways God helps us is with money. It's why Jesus talks about money and possessions more than any other topic. It's why 40% of the Proverbs in the Bible are about handling and viewing money. It's why at this church, we have an entire stewardship ministry that does things like free one-on-one -on -one financial coaching, free estate planning, free wills, and multiple classes that do things like help us get out of debt and understand who provides everything and managing those resources well. Why does God talk so much about money? Why do we have a stewardship ministry at our church? Because God knows we need help with money. Here's the thing. Whenever we open the scriptures and ask God for a better way of doing things, it requires that we change and change is hard. It reminds me of that old sign, everybody wants to change the world, but nobody wants to change the toilet paper, the struggle is real which since we're on the topic, I just have to give an additional extra biblical lesson today. When you change the toilet paper, you can have the toilet paper go over and face out, or you can do it the wrong way. And if, thank you for clapping, I knew I was in the house of the Lord. 
And if you're disagreeing with me, I brought evidence to prove I am right. I have the picture of the first patent for the toilet paper holder. It goes out, not backwards. If you do it backwards, Jesus loves you too. We're glad you're here, even though you're a sinner. In this series, in this series, Jesus is gonna ask to change. Some of you, that's all you're gonna get out of church today, isn't it? Like, can you believe you said that about toilet paper? <laughs> Lean in. In this series, Jesus is gonna ask us to change something, and it's gonna be hard. But Jesus says, if you embrace this test, your life will get better. And I'm excited about this because we need to grow in the act of giving. Over the past uh, 12 months or, or year to date, our attendance year over year is up 19% as a church. Every campus is growing. Yeah, that's really cool. But our giving is only up 3%. As best as we can tell, half the households in our church give, half do not. Now that sounds like a bad thing. I would argue it's a good thing for several reasons. One, it means we have room to grow. That's a good thing. Two, we've baptized so many people, as I've talked about, I'll talk about in a few minutes, that new believers need some instruction. And I also believe that we have so many non-believers who've accepted your invitation to bump into this man named Jesus through his church that they're here figuring out what does it mean to follow Jesus, and you're going to hear that today. But for the majority of us who are believers, the national stats say we have room to grow. One out of every five Bible-believing Christians did not give a penny to church or charity last year. In addition to that, half of Bible-believing Christians gave away less than 1% of their income last year. And because we live in the richest country in the history of the world, and because arguably the biggest sin in our country is consumerism, all of us need to be challenged to grow in what the scriptures call the grace of giving. So we're gonna open the Bible to Matthew chapter six. This is Jesus' most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. We're gonna go through just a, a few verses of this, about one paragraph, a little bit at a time. And I'm gonna tell you up front the punchline today. I have one challenge for you. It's a big one. Increase the percent you give to God's church. Increase the percent you give to God's church. This is a big challenge, but I want you to be free. And more importantly, God, as you'll see in the scriptures, wants you to be free. So Jesus is gonna show us today why some of us feel stuck in our, in our spiritual growth. Jesus is gonna reveal to others of us who are very passionate about discipling others why what we're trying to do isn't working. Jesus is gonna show others of us why we continually feel so close to the Lord. And Jesus is gonna show those of you who are investigating Jesus what it truly means to pick up your cross and follow him. So let's dive in, Matthew chapter six, verse 19. Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Now, in this verse, Jesus is not throwing out all the Proverbs and other scriptures that talk about saving and preparing and planning ahead with humility and prayer and wisdom. What he's doing is cautioning us against hoarding. You seen that show, Hoarders? You seen this thing where, where people can't throw anything away and they follow them into their house to try and do an intervention. They literally have pathways through their house around all the stuff they have. I'm convinced the reason we watch that show is to make ourselves feel better about ourselves and all the stuff we have. I did hear about one episode or one um, example of hoarding that was pretty intense. 
It involved the government officials being called into a certain home because the stench in the neighborhood was so bad. They had over 400 animals in one house. They had to wear hazmat suits to enter in. It took them eight hours to get all of the animals out. In all, they rescued 250 birds, 140 turtles, four reptiles, a dozen mammals. They called it Operation Noah's Ark. Jesus is saying here something very simple. He's saying, don't be greedy. And when we hear this, when we read this, I think probably all of us are saying, hey, right with you, Jesus. People shouldn't be greedy. Totally track him. But here's my question. How do you know you're not greedy? I'm not calling you greedy. I think you want to not be greedy. But how do you know you're not greedy? See, as a Christian and as a pastor, I have had multiple examples over the year where someone has an intense sin issue in their life or they want to meet in private so they can confess it. And when we get together, they'll have tears, they'll, their, their voice will get caught in their throat, they'll have emotion when they're finally able to speak, and they'll say often through sobs, I just need to confess, and then they fill it in with their story. And it's been, in my meetings, adultery, it's been addictions, it's been murder even, almost anything you can imagine. But here's a conversation I've never had in that example. I've never had somebody say, Carl, I have some sin I need to confess. Can we meet in private? And then we get together and they say through sobs and through emotion and choked up voice, they say, I just need to confess. I'm so greedy. It's never happened. Isn't that interesting? Now, you may say, well, I don't have enough to be greedy, but I would push back on you for two reasons. One, greed isn't about what you have. It's about wanting more than what you have. In addition, if your entire family income is $30,000, you're richer than six out of seven, every seven people on the entire planet. Jesus warns us here about greed. How do you know you're not greedy? Well, he tells us, verse 20, he says, store your treasures in heaven where moss and rust cannot destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. Jesus says, don't be greedy, don't hoard. And the way you combat that is with generosity. I would say it this way, the antidote to greed is generosity, meaning our culture has poisoned you with consumerism and greed and selfishness and generosity is the medicine that gets you healthy. And here's why, verse 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And Jesus is telling us here what we've all experienced firsthand. For the majority of my and Lindsay's marriage, we have had hand-me-down couches. And for the most part, they were pretty nice couches. We were grateful for every one of them. Uh, they worked for our family of six. But here's what happens with a hand-me-down couch is we would eat on the couches and we would wrestle on the couches. We could sleep on the couches. You can kind of do anything on the couches. In fact, one time I was wrestling with one of the boys. I threw him against the couch. I guess it was a little too hard. And the couch literally broke. So a piece of wood poked through the back and had a sharp edge sticking out. And we just kind of said, well, don't run into the sharp piece of wood sticking out of the back of the couch and moved on with our lives. But a couple of years ago, my wife and I said, hey, let's get a new couch. So we saved some money. We went to a furniture store. We sat on all the different couches. We picked the style we like, the comfort we like, the color we like, paid for it, got delivered, set up in our living room. I mean, it looked awesome. We were so excited about this new couch. But the weirdest thing happened. We couldn't eat on the couch anymore. 
Couldn't wrestle even near the couch anymore. I don't even think I was allowed to nap on the couch for fear that drool would slip out of my mouth onto our new couch. In fact, when we had our Bible study over for the first time after new couch, we always had some kind of snacks or drinks. We get those in the kitchen. We move into the living room, open our Bibles, and everybody else is ready for me to pray or start the Bible study. And I look up, and this woman in our group, who we're all friends with, has the audacity to sit on my couch with a drink. And I just said to her, hey, listen, if you spill that on my new couch, we're going to have some issues. And everybody in the group laughed, but I was being serious. And you've experienced the same thing, right? It's when you get a brand new outfit and you just know you look good, like you feel good and know you look good because you spent so much money on that and you go out to eat with some friends and you just decide spur the moment, you know what, I don't think I'm hungry because I don't want to risk one drop of food getting on my new outfit and changing how I look. It's when you get that brand new phone and you get the, the cover and the case that costs almost as much as the phone and you say, no child shall ever touch this phone, let alone breathe on this brand new phone. It's when you got that new car, right? And you used to park closest to the work building as you possibly could, but now everybody laughs at you because you pack a, pack, park a half mile from the church building and walk through the rain just to make sure nobody hits their door against your brand new car. We know where your treasure is. That's where your hearts can be. I don't care about couches. I got a new couch. I care about couches. Now, sometimes I wish it was heart than treasure. But if you think about it, that actually wouldn't be a good thing. For one thing, when people try to make it heart, then treasure, I've discovered they actually give less. The secular organization Gallup Group found out that Americans who give as their emotions lead them, on average, give 40% less each year than Americans who pre-plan a percentage to give. Isn't that interesting? It's a little scary, though, because... Half of evangelicals under age 40 prefer, they say, to give when it feels right, meaning we want it to be, young Christians say, heart than treasure. You think about this, if it was heart than treasure, guilt would be the best motivator. Because if somebody wanted your money, they would just do their best to guilt you or manipulate you, and, and that's how they would get your money. Now, you know people try this, right? In fact, my favorite example of this, I'm gonna date myself and sound old here, um, but was this song, you remember this? Remember this ad? Right, those of you who are old remember this ad and Sarah McLaughlin sitting there next to the dogs who are like literally starving and they communicate, if you don't give us all your money right now, these dogs are gonna die and it's gonna be all your fault. I think we just gave to get the ad off TV. <laughs> just soak it in for a second. Okay, cut it off, yeah, yeah. But here's what's interesting is that ad was the most successful fundraiser in the history of that organization. People gave $30 million for those dogs. Now you may say, well, that proves Jesus is wrong, but I would say, no, Jesus is still right because they didn't give because they believed in the mission they gave out of guilt. So the next time that organization isn't gonna be able to get those people's money again, those people are just gonna give the next group that makes them feel bad, right? It doesn't last. Because it is treasure than heart, that means I must decide. I can't be passive. To not decide is to decide. See, you can think, if you even imagine it right now, close your eyes if necessary, your bank statement or your credit card statement, you can just imagine the charges you see on there, the debits you've made on there, and know where your heart is. Like, you know, my heart is with my motorcycle. My heart is with Amazon. It's with my bourbon, it's with my shoes, it's on travel, it's my pets. Your heart is on the things you put money towards, whether you want it to be or not. See, treasure, then heart, 
means I get to decide what to care about. Let me say it this way. The question today is not, do you love God? The question today is, do you want to love God? Because it's treasure, then heart. You get to make a cognitive decision on what you want to care about and start giving money to that. I believe this is why God taught his people to tithe. In the Old Testament, before Jesus, Leviticus 27, verse 30, one of many places that talks about this, says one-tenth, and that's what the word tithe means. You can't, you can't give one-ninth. That's not, a, I mean, that wouldn't be a tithe. One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, because it was a farming society, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. This is God teaching his people to tithe. And then if you look at Deuteronomy in the Living Bible, it talks about this a little bit more. It says the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first. Meaning, from the Old Testament, it's treasure, then heart. Now, some people will say, well, that was an old covenant thing. We're not under the law anymore because Jesus died on the cross, and so we're not under that Old Testament law. You're right. But think, even in the Sermon on the Mount that we're reading from, what Jesus does with the covenant, old covenant law. But he says, you know, the law said don't murder. I tell you, don't hate. The law said don't commit adultery. I say don't lust. The law says you gotta give 10%. New Testament says be generous. So going in line with that, I believe every Christian should start at a tithe and increase from there. If all you do is tithe in your journey of generosity, I believe that would be like me coming to you and saying, hey, how's your marriage? And you say, good, I don't commit adultery. Okay, that's good. But that's the baseline. What God wants you is something up here. And if I ask you about your generosity, you say, it's good, I tithe. I'd say, that's good. That's a starting point. God wants you up here. Now, maybe you're thinking, church just wants my money. Well, it reminds me of this old preacher story. It's pretty lame, but I'll tell you anyway. It was about these two guys who were shipwrecked and they swam to this Sure, they ended up being a deserted island. It was very small. They could see instantly they were in the middle of nowhere. No one was going to know who they were. There was no humanity on this island. What were they going to do? But they had two different reactions. One of the guys immediately starts pacing. He's thinking out loud, like stressing and, and like thinking, what are we going to do? How are we going to get out of this place? Our lives are over. The second guy, though, he takes off his shirt. He lays down on the sand and he starts getting a tan. First guy at him goes ballistic. He says, what are you doing, man? We got to figure out a way off this island. He goes, oh, I'm good, man. I make $100,000 a week. He goes, I don't care. Your money's not going to get you off this island. What are you going to do? Buy your way off? He goes, no, no, no. I, I make $100,000 a week and I'm a Christian. He goes, what, are you going to pray and a boat's just going to magically out, appear out of nowhere? What are you doing? We got to figure a way out of here. And the guy says, no, no, no. Listen, let me be absolutely clear. I make $100,000 a week and I'm a Christian who tithes faithfully. I know my pastor is going to find me. <laughs> That's so bad. Like, you should be in trouble for laughing at that. It's not, look at this next scripture, it's not that Jesus or the church just wants your money, it's so much bigger than that. Here's what Jesus says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your whole body. 
When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. Now, this sounds weird because this is verse 22 and in verse 21, Jesus was talking about money. When we get to verse 24, Jesus is talking about money. What's with the biology lesson in the middle? Well, he's still talking about money. Because in ancient Judaism, the eye was a metaphor for how you viewed money and how much control it had over you. And we actually know this is true from scripture. If you know the story in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells a parable about a vineyard owner who hires people throughout the day to work at his vineyard. At the end of the day, he pays them all the same amount of day's wage. But some people are mad about it because they worked all day and the people who worked 15 minutes got the same amount as much of them. It's really a metaphor for grace and how generous God is with us. But in the story, in Matthew 20, verse 15, the vineyard owner says to the grumbling workers, do you have a bad eye because I'm generous? Meaning, do you view money poorly and you're greedy? It's why verse 23 says, but when your eye's unhealthy, your body's full of darkness. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other. Or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And I feel like I can hear the emotion in Jesus' plea. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. So look back at verse 22. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. Jesus makes a startling claim that when you get money right, everything else falls into place. You could say it like this. The first domino of discipleship, discipleship is just your journey of becoming like Jesus. The first domino of discipleship is generosity. This is why we're talking about this, because this is a discipleship issue. Discipleship is not about doing what Jesus does. Discipleship primarily is about having the heart that Jesus has. Think about the Sermon on the Mount that we're reading from. Throughout it, Jesus bashes people who are doing the right things with the wrong heart. He says, those people pray and they sound good, but they're just doing it to be heard. Don't be like that. And those people give to the poor. They're just doing it so you can see them. Don't be like them. Jesus is constantly not after just your actions, but something much deeper, which is your heart. The number one factor in your discipleship, Jesus says, is your giving. Now, I will confess, as someone who disciples others, that I have often gotten this wrong. Because what I have often done with people who are freshly baptized is I'll say, great, you're on the journey. Get in a group with other Christians. Get on a serving team to pour yourself out. Uh, get in the word. Let's start a prayer habit together. And eventually we'll get to giving. But a friend challenged me on that. And I realized that wasn't my discipleship journey. And more importantly, that's not what Jesus teaches. Jesus does not say what you pray about. That's where your heart will be. Jesus does not say where you serve, that's where your heart will be. Jesus does not say the topic you study this year in the Bible, that's where your heart will be. Although I'm sure all of those are partially true. Jesus says, where you put your money, that's where your heart's gonna be. It's such a big deal that he says in verse 22, if you get this right, everything else falls into place. In fact, I think, because of what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter six, that a lot of us who are in close, close, where we've earned the right to be heard, discipling relationships, probably this week, need to go to some of those people we're discipling and say, hey, I care about your growth like Jesus, so what percent are you giving? That takes some guts. 
But if we're going to follow Jesus, I think that's what we got to do. Please realize we are not doing this series because God needs your money. We're doing this series because God wants your heart. We are a discipling church, which means we must be a giving church. Jesus is challenging us in this scripture to make a cognitive decision. Where do you want your heart to go? And then put your money there so your heart will follow. I know some of you are thinking, why can't even think about this? My finances are out of control. I mentioned our stewardship ministry. I would encourage you to sign up for the financial foundations class. Text foundations to 733-733 to sign up at all campuses. This is a five-week class that every campus is getting ready to offer. Jesus talks about having the right foundation. This class helps you get a biblical foundation for true financial freedom as you get out of debt, live on a budget, save wisely, and give. If you are never taught how to handle money, if you are taught but just can't seem to do it well, or you just need a fresh start and reminder, sign up for this class. But let's be clear. The question today is not, do you love God? The question is, do you want to love God? Because it's not heart, then treasure. It's treasure, then heart. If you're generous, everything else falls into place. You could say it this way, today will not change how God views you, but it will change how you view God. So I challenge you, increase the percent you give to God's church and do it today. Decide that you want to love God more. I believe you should start at a tithe. If you don't tithe, start. If you have kids in your home, you teach them to tithe. Every dollar that comes into your home gets tithed on. Then every year you increase the percent you give away, even if it's just part of a percent. But you do that for decades and your heart is really gonna care about the things in the kingdom. Now, you may be wondering, how do I give? You've probably noticed at every location that there's a QR code in front of you. We realized if we're going to be a discipling church, we need to make it more easy for people to give. And you can hold up your phone to that and have one click and be ready to give. Can I split my tithe between church and other things? Well, if we take Jesus' words seriously, I believe you give more than a tithe to the church and then give to other things on top of that. If you're just starting, I believe, yes, you should give your tithe to the church. What if my spouse and I disagree? You give the lesser amount. Because the scripture tells us in Peter, you will win over your spouse, not with legalistic giving, but rather with a humble spirit. Why is giving to the church so important? because we wanna see the kingdom of God come to earth. I wanna share some cool stats with you. In 2022 at Southeast, we saw 2,016 people baptized here, which included about 700 people on one baptism weekend. But this year, with no special baptism push and weeks still remaining in the year, we have already surpassed that and seen 2,117 people baptized in the family of God. And every, every one of those is somebody's dad, is somebody's daughter, is somebody's one that they relentlessly prayed for. God's grace is on this church. He is at work here. But we need to keep going because those cool pictures don't include your dad. 
They don't include your mom. They don't include your daughter. They don't include the one that you prayed for last night and waited for in the church parking lot. And once again, they text you and said, sorry, I'm gonna bail, not gonna make it this time. But God hasn't given up on them and you can't either and we can't as a church. We have to lean into this challenge. Someone sarcastically asked this preacher, if I don't tithe, why go to hell? Preacher thought for a moment and said, no, but someone else might. So I challenge you, increase the percent you give. I'll get more personal. I want to tell you about my friend, Brian. Brian, I've been friends for a long time. Um, If you don't know my story, in 2008, Southeast sent my family to suburban Baltimore where we launched a new church. And we launched it in a movie theater. It was about 90 people at the beginning and God did amazing things and grew it from there. But Brian was one of those people who came the very first week and, and never left. He and I became friends pretty quickly. He joined a serving team to be on production. He ran sermon sides for me, and we just got to be able to read each other's minds with that. He went on our very first mission trip in that church plant to Bolivia, and later on multiple trips to Poland with one of our Southeast partners. He was so wise and generous that we put him on the finance team and eventually just leading all the church finances to make sure it was handled with integrity. He became an elder in the church, I think was our longest serving elder. Brian was single for a really long time, but then he met a woman in our church named Lauren and they were a great match because they both have the spiritual gift of serving. So anytime you saw them dating, they were serving inside the church, outside the church, friends, people they didn't know, it was great. And then they got married and had two little girls and Lauren's Italian and Brian's Vietnamese. So their little girls just have the most beautiful look to them. They're just absolutely adorable. But about 22 months ago, Brian got diagnosed with lung cancer, even though he's never smoked a day in his life. They did some genetic testing and found out, hey, this, what's going on is really rare here. And in a story that's probably too familiar to some of you, they had treatment that worked for a little while, but then it just stopped working. At one point, it seemed he was basically living in the hospital. About a month ago, I went over to Maryland to visit Brian in his home with hospice care, and we shared some good memories and talked about great meals we'd had together and memories in the church and talked about his kids and finances and just everything we could think of. And on, on, on October 29th, I got a text that the night before Brian had gone to glory and heard those words, well done and good and faithful servant. And so earlier this month, I went to Maryland and did the funeral service of Brian and had the honor of preaching that. And it was a weird dynamic because on one hand, it was just full of hope, unequivocal hope. I even read in the funeral sermon, the descriptions from Titus and Timothy in the scriptures about who an elder is. And everybody in the auditorium just knew that's Brian. The Bible's talking about Brian there. But it was also so sad because he leaves behind a 35-year-old widow and two girls under six years old. And here's what I tell you the story. Because in 2007, the year before my family moved, to see if God would plant a new church through us. We sat down with a committee of leaders in this church and we asked Southeast to be our primary funder to launch that new church. And we made a bold ask. We asked for 
more money than Southeast had ever given any church plan. I just thought, well, let's shoot big. And we knew they weren't gonna give us that much, but why not? And they called me into a little meeting after they had talked and prayed and deliberated. And they said, Carl, Southeast is not gonna give you what you asked for. And I was prepared for that. They said, Southeast is gonna give you tens of thousands of dollars more than what you asked for because we believe in the power of new churches. And because of your generosity, Here's what I want you to catch. Here's what I want you to catch. Because of your generosity, Lauren's got a community. Because of your generosity, those two beautiful girls are gonna have Christian men in that church who will help raise them and disciple them and give a good time and tell them stories about their father and tell them stories about the man who will raise their father from the dead. And without your generosity, they're alone. But because you are generous, they have the community they need in hard times. And let me just say, if, if you're hearing a sermon on money saying, I, I'm fine with what Jesus says about money, but I can't breathe because I'm going through a hard time. This church is your family. And we will disciple you and pray with you and comfort you and cry with you. And we will tell you about the man who will one day raise you from the dead. Scripture says pure religion is to look after widows and orphans. And we do that through planting new churches. We do that through opening shelters for the trafficked. We do that through baptizing people into the family of God. So I'm asking you, will you make a decision today that you want your heart to care about the things of God's kingdom? You want your heart to care about what God's heart cares about? And then will you throw your money at that? We wanted to carve out at every campus a moment of decision, not even just to follow Christ. We'll get there. But a moment of decision of what God wants you to do with money. So I'd like you to take your phone out right now. The person isn't next to you, next to you and do it, give them the stink eye. I want you to scan that QR code and listen to God's voice of what he would have you do. If you are so upside down, you, you can't do this, text that foundations to 733-733, but I'm gonna pray to lead you into a moment of prayer for you to obey God and what he would have you do with this. Let me pray. God, I thank you for people who are generous at Southeast around the year 2007. So Southeast could bless the socks off of a brand new church that was becoming a community to help widows and orphans. God, I pray right now at every campus that you speak, that you give us one of those holy nudges that we know it's from you. 
God, I know there are some married couples who will have to go home and discuss it first, but will you help us be bold in this moment? Listen and obey. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one at a time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.